Welcome to the show today. I am really excited because today I have a very special guest, someone who I have been really looking forward to having a conversation with, my friend Benjamin Christmas. We met on LinkedIn. We have ended up networking and making the same group of sort of really good connected friends, and it has been a wonderful journey together over the last several months, getting to know one another, and I have to tell you, I can't wait to share this incredible human with you. You guys are going to fall in love with Benjamin as much as I have, I promise. Stick around and let's get started. Hi, I'm Carol Jean, late identified autistic ADHD human and your host of the Mind Your Autistic Brain talk show and burnout restoration unveilers community. You're about to experience the new way to thrive as a neurodistinct brain and body by getting off the chronic cycle burnout loop for good. By unveiling your authentic self, defining what thriving feels like for you, knowing your burnout signpost, so those top 20 burnout warning signs are a thing of the past, and stepping into your best life as the creator and leader you are meant to be. Get ready, because this is where we go against the mainstream. Say no to outdated self-care tips, and we say yes to who we are in order to create an energized, authentic, peaceful, and harmonized world. Welcome to Mind Your Autistic Brain. Get started. Welcome to the show, Benjamin. I am so excited we're here today. Hi, Carol. It's really lovely. I've been looking so forward to this. Um, and I've just really appreciated your energy. It's awesome. <laughs> You know, I think that's, I think that's one of the things like when we first started connecting and talking like, ooh, caboodles months ago, it was just like, I don't know, there was just like this vibe, like we just connected. I was like, I like Benjamin. (laughs) Yes, he's my person. And, you know, we just, we had some, we've had some really good conversations, but I think what's really beautiful is that through this whole connection that we've made on LinkedIn, and what I love is that there's this beautiful community that's really sprung up, you know, and, and it's so nice to see like, Oh, have you met this person? Oh yeah, I met them. They're so cool. And like, Oh, I need to introduce you to this person. And it's just been so nice. And it's been really, it has been supportive. It's only only come about really in the last, like for me personally, obviously in the last year, but just, I think it's only really come about in the last couple of years, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, I didn't even get, I, I was on LinkedIn, but I was like, eh, I don't know. I wasn't really seeing anybody, you know, like more people yeah. until I joined um, and got really active, like back in March, I think February, or March. And then it was like, all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, thanks mm. to, you know, everybody working from home and stuff. My people are showing up. I know. And I, and you know what I loved? It was really cool. It's like, And I think you were a really big leader in this in a lot of ways, because we had a couple of people misunderstand our indie communication on the LinkedIn side of things. And we had some Mm -hmm. people who were like getting their accounts paused and, you know, Mm -hmm. people like saying, oh, hey, you know, this person is like not being nice or whatever. And somehow it was on us that it was our communication style. And it's like, well, first of all, we're having a conversation that we all get in our community, one to another. On and this boards, is a person. On our profiles, on our stuff. Right. Yeah. And we've got yeah. somebody who's not, who doesn't, isn't part of our cultural language and understanding, like 
interpreting this and then reporting us when we're just having a conversation one person to another. And I loved how you really were elevating like, hey guys, this is what's going on. Cause you know, in our very autistic ADHD neurodivergent way, we're not always picking up on what's happening around us because we're sort of focused on what's what's going on. (laughs) And I love that you sort of raised that and we all sort of rallied around, you know, a lot of our mutual friends this year to say, hey, whoa, you know, you guys have to recognize that, that we do communicate in a very unique way one to another and this isn't what people are interpreting it to be who aren't even part of the conversation. And I love that you did that. Yes. Yeah. And I, I, something that I've, I guess this is what leads into the topic, I guess, today, but also I've, I've been for a long time very confused, like many of us prior to diagnosis. But a lot of the uh, trouble I had wasn't so much communication. It was getting people to understand what I was communicating about. And that made it very difficult um, because there was a lot of opportunities in which I was just misunderstood. And I tried to then elaborate further only to dig this proverbial hole even further. And exactly. And it made it, 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 it would get to a point where it was very distressing because you didn't feel like you could talk, but it wasn't even about whether you could talk. You couldn't even express the very ideas that you wanted to talk about. And it was such a self-censoring experience. And you don't realize how much you self-censor with all the different aspects of maladaptive behaviors when you're undiagnosed and you don't know any better. You don't know any different, I should say. And that makes it very difficult now I did explain to you prior to what I was I I give you that little phrase so one thing I guess I really enjoy talking about is just to elaborate on what I think is some complexity um, that hasn't necessarily been touched on it's a too hard basket not even going there and we'll just leave it for another day now one thing I I like to talk about the things that are hard, but not from the context of, right, everybody, sit down and listen. <laughs> That's not what I'm about. It's more No, like, you're not. You're more of a community conversation builder. <laughs> yeah, like let, let, let's all talk about it. And one thing, and let's talk about it and not be disrespectful. Let's all give each other room. And if there's a particularly hostile view, it's still valid. But if it's disrespectful or anything like that, there's no tolerance for that either. You know, there's degrees of nuance, but if you are heading towards a hateful territory, then that's not participating. And well, and that also just sort of shuts everybody else down. And then it's like, then anybody's scared to share anything. And that's not what we're after. And it mutes the community collective voice. And that takes a lot of time to engage. Now, just as you touched on before, the neurodiversity community is finding its space. Um, And that's probably one thing I'll touch on just a little bit later, which is the other concept I wanted to talk about for the neurodiversity sort of cohort. But the first thing I wanted to talk about is that our community, a lot of us are undiagnosed, a lot of us are late diagnosed, 
And there's a lot of individuals that are newly diagnosed as children, have gone through life. I would, you know, hazard a guess, and it's just a guess, that say 50% of that have grown up with diagnosis, have probably, maybe even more so, probably a much higher percentage than 50, were growing up in a very pathological biomedical model. So it was very much your autistic and you are you will not be able to do X, Y, and Z for the rest of your life. Yep. Now, <clears throat> if I had been told that, I would have probably been the type of person to say, bugger that, I don't believe any of that, and I'm going to go do my own thing. But as I'm I would sure have been was, like, well, I'm just going to prove you wrong. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's just an autistic response as well. But totally. um, I also think that there's a lot of there's a lot of vulnerability in those moments and a lot of harm can take place. And I think this is why having a accessible neurodiversity community, doing what you're doing, Carol, awesome stuff, like providing spaces for people to talk, not just to talk. Like, it's, it, yes, if that's the case, but we do want to do something with it, which is like communicate to our own community, communicate to neurotypical community. But, you know, even that sort of binary, I want us to move away from that binary because we're a neurodiversity spectrum. So getting to what I wanted to talk about is like these internal behaviours. Now, neurodiverse individuals, we love social justice. We love helping people find ways in which to work better. It's not about you've, you've did wrong. It's not admonishment, but there will be like a, a, a degree of, uh, of admonishment if there isn't social justice moving towards a way that we feel is inclusive. But what about these internal behaviours that we perhaps are still trying to learn about ourselves as autistic people? What, you know, we, we, we talk a lot about the accommodations. We talk a lot about the environment. And these are all fundamental changes that need to happen. This is, this is all, and I, and I do not want to negate the, the primary sort of foundation that needs to be established here, which is we need to address the hostile environment. And by environment, I mean the, the environment, everything around you, the culture, the physicality of the space, everything, the way it's structured, it's all structured around neurotypicality. And that's fine. Like now well, it's that we neuro majority know that, accessible. And yeah, that's and really the lens. And so it's like, oh, I have my needs met. So that means everybody else has their needs met. Exactly. And, and, and so then know. we don't. Difference. they don't move past that yeah and I think also how do you know what you don't know you know and this is another thing it's like oh, well of course it's a neurotypical majority designed environment we are a minority and naturally there's been many cases of that sort of majority way having been the most egalitarian you know we that was the only way we could get some things done to then diversify, to then diversify further. And that's why the neurodiversity community now is really coming together. I think this is going to bring about a lot of social change in the next 10 to 15 years. But one thing I do not want us to get too, um, I don't want it to be a put on the back pedal, is we need to start really diving deep into understanding ourselves together. 
like now, see you're totally way, speaking my language now yeah you, you get what i'm coming from <laughs> i mean you know one, i have the self-care plan from the inside out because everything we do starts internally and the exactly. more that we can start to become aware of and we become aware through reflection and i think I, that's why i was so excited to have this conversation today is because this is a conversation of reflection bringing about awareness and the simple awareness is where change begins. And it's It's not like you have to do anything. It's, it's just knowing that it's there. Mm -hmm. It starts to shift naturally. Well, that's a really good point, Carol, because with the, with that sort of naivety, you're thrust into a world as say an undiagnosed autistic neurodiverse individual, maybe ADHD like me as well. Like I had some complex mental health, uh, neurodevelopmental differences growing up. And it was very hard. It wasn't, it wasn't an easy thing. And I had no opportunity at any point up until probably some few years ago now, but Growing up, I had no opportunity to actually know myself on the inside because I was so reactive to the outside because of the environment, because of the way everything was structured. We were so heightened and ready to deal with whatever came externally our way because that's just how we survived. Absolutely. You know, I had this conversation the other day and it was, we were talking about this and I said, look, you got to remember that as late identified people, Essentially, we have gone through our life in a survival, protective, reactive place. And by the time we finally learn that, hey, we're just wired a little bit, you know, we're wired differently. So our perception is different. Our sensory profile is different. You know, how we perceive and process the world is different. And you're not broken. You're not defective. And, you know, but you're, but the story and the way, way the world has responded to you your whole life up to that point has been telling you in one way or another, you're doing it wrong. You hadn't figured Mm. it out yet and you onboard all of this. And so you're living in this survival mode. And what happens is I think, and I think this is, and this is a big part of the unveiling method and what I teach, it's that we've not had the opportunity to feel psychologically and emotionally environmentally safe to explore Mm -hmm. who we are. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times in part of that, after that original and initial processing phase of late identification, we reach this place where like, okay, I realize I have masked to the professional level of camouflaging most of my life. I've probably been <laughs> on the chronic cycle burnout loop, you know, I know I'm right, describing yeah. myself here. Um, the chronic yeah. cycle burnout loop for I don't, no, 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 no. By all means, I thought that was me. That's fine. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> And, and you get to this place where you're like, okay, so I recognize that I have trauma. And that Mm -hmm. I have like the lasagna layers of micro traumas and alongs with the big T's and the (laughs) little T's and it's all like sliding off into the floor, but I've managed to juggle it most of my life and I've survived. (laughs) And now I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm going to peel off a couple of these masks now that I know what this is. And I'm like Mm -hmm. getting down to me and you get a couple layers deep and you're like, I have no idea who I am really because I've never had the opportunity to explore it. And I feel like that's so much of what you are talking about today is like stepping back and like allowing grace and space to just experiment, 
to play, to have an opportunity with yourself to figure out who the heck am I? Right. Mm. Mm. And it's okay to not know. Like one thing that some people get stuck on is I don't know who I am. And therefore, run away and they're just like you know like somehow uh, if i don't automatically know that i failed or that if i don't have it all figured out then i just don't get it and why do why do we have that feeling this is what i'm getting at this is a very little thing the very it sounds like a small thing but it's not so with that germination uh, yeah that's the german so there's okay i'm gonna throw out the phrase everybody there's this little behavior that's not little but i think it's a common trait with autistic people. And this is what I would love to talk about and start to evaluate more is these behaviors that we have that are internally specific to a neurodiverse experience, a lived experience on the inside. This is not about us telling other people, uh, uh, this is what a STEM is, or this is what, you know, I'm not talking about externalities. This is not what we're talking about. And this is for a neurodiverse sort of perspective. And anyone that is not neurodiverse to then have a really awesome insight. One thing that I've noticed when I, for me growing up, I had, I've I've had a lot of, of trauma in my life. Now, I think that word gets bandied about a lot, but it's also very much a, a word that needs to be used more because that's generally what the case is. Now, my trauma, it, it, it can manifest in so many different ways. But one thing that I find with the neurodiverse experience is that we are socially justice orientated. And that is partly part because of we, we don't want to see that the hurt and the suffering that's been inflicted upon us onto others. Now, what does that mean? Like, what does that mean when, when we feel that justice, that social justice, that internality sort of behavior where we strive towards something that could quite literally cause harm to yourself, your person. Why are we doing that? What is this all about? Now, people will say, well, it's birthed out of trauma. Yes, it is somewhat. Um, It's maybe all autism. Yeah, maybe it might be the autistic live experience. I think it's an amalgamation of things and trying to figure out where it's coming from defeats the purpose let's actually explore what it is first like you know it's like getting an asteroid hit the earth and you're wondering well where did it come from don't touch it we want to figure out where it came from first no no no. you know it's like well you know we're wasting time here so the, the 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 phrase is the germination of obligation and i'm going to say it again germination of obligation and it's it sounds like a cracked up phrase that's made up it's made up it's all right guys it's all right you know i made it up but why did i call it this because that's what exactly what it is one thing i've noticed my whole life was that i felt drawn to the needs of others consciously subconsciously unconsciously i don't know like even maybe when i was sleeping I was always, but this was very much an unspoken thing on the inside. It's not very, it wasn't a sense that I went, I need to do this for this person. It was a feeling, a internal sort of pulling towards someone or something, some task 
It was that feeling that if I went to do this, I fail in who I am or who I want to be or who I'm aiming to be or, or it doesn't fit with what I know now, but it doesn't fit with what, how people perceive me. Now that's a big trap, that last bit, um, that last scenario, because a lot of us late diagnosis is people, um, we have a lot of trouble in late diagnostic, post-diagnostic um, periods where we're having to drop a mask or even realise that we've been masking. So for me, my mask fell off. It went and just fell off. Just and one or just like all me, thousand of them? Yeah, like it was just so quick. <laughs> yeah. But for me, it was, oh, thank God. Was it kind like, of like, I, 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 I think about it like <coughs> shedding, like when, when reptiles shed their skin. Yep. And it's like yeah. you emerge like all fresh and glowy and new. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, I, I, can, like I can wiggle. I felt like finally, like the gap between my internal and external self was a lot smaller, you know? And it was like, I'm finally getting to that point where I feel like myself. So like, what the hell is germination of obligation been? Like, that just sounds made up. I love oh, it. it. I love it. So, so dig yeah. into this a little bit and share yeah. with us what this is and what this means, what we should start kind of looking at or thinking about. Now, this is just a, this is more so an exercise and let's have a look at it and let's see if we can generate some self-awareness around it and whether this is a problem for you or for anyone, or it's not so much even a problem. I don't want to assign any sort of pathological biomedical model stuff here. What I want us to do is understand that it's a tool. It's a gift to what we've been given and it actually helps a lot if you use it in a way that is you're aware because there's nothing greater than having a, something pulling you along towards something good. Now there's this feeling that you might feel on the inside. It's like this, it's like in the chest here and it's that little seed that you'll start to feel. And it can be with a stranger. It can be with a friend, a family member. It can be with a colleague, a boss. It can be with someone down the street you see struggling. It could be anything, any scenario. But it's that feeling, that little seed on the inside that will quickly germinate into what you're feeling now obligated to do, the task that you've started to feel that you needed to do. Now, this obligation is, can be pernicious because what it does is it negates any sort of autonomy that you have for yourself. Okay, that's the, that's the key part there. Why do I feel drawn to do something completely at the expense of myself regardless of myself right and a lot of this is comes back to that social justice but i think this comes first and this this is that this is what people refer to with this social justice stuff as well it's that internal pulling i call it like a i call it a seed it, it, it germinates some people for me when i first picked it up it was with everything and you don't realize how exhausting it is because you're no longer living, you're being pulled to obligations every day. So there, your life now is, if you could imagine a, 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 a puppet doll that's getting made and there's strings going out everywhere. That's how a lot of autistics feel. They're pulled along. My, my FBI string board and it's like yeah, exactly, all, you know, you know? all the push pins and the string and the yeah, going yeah, inside, and it looks like a cobweb. Yeah, you're a walking string board. 
and you're not actually you, everyone's just pulling you to where they want you because you're obligated to do so. And you know, it's so interesting. I love having this conversation with you. I really do. <laughs> you know, there's this, I, because the minute you mentioned it to me, I went, oh, that lands. Like I, I have been there. I have experienced, I have felt this. Mm. And part of, <laughs> part of my journey where I am now, that's no longer that, that same part. It does not overwhelm and, and, and allow me to lose my autonomy in my own direction anymore. I mean, I'm in year three and a half entering year four of no shutdown, no burnout, no meltdown since I was six. This is 40 years of chronic cycle burnout. And I didn't know Mm. this was possible, but it Mm. goes back to the awareness of Mm. that germination of obligation that you're talking about. And I think what's interesting is, and, and I do think you're onto something here. I really do, Benjamin, because I think it's, it's part of our neurotype. And, and if mm-hmm. think about it this way, because my friend Joe and I had this conversation last week, we were talking about this, which is like, I always love how all of our brains seem to like collectively move in a similar direction. Thank Great. <laughs> Thank gosh. But it's interesting because I, you know, we were talking about, we were talking about different types of trauma and experiences and things like that. And just sort of how our wiring tends to, to play a part in that. And I was like, you know, how I describe it is it's like an open loop. That's just close enough, but it doesn't close or touch. And my brain is constantly seeking to close or fill that gap to close that loop because then it's done. But my brain does not like things that are unfinished. Exactly. And, it, and she described it as sort of the box with the lid open. And it's like, you can push the lid down, but it keeps popping open. And so you're constantly closing it. It's like, get the yeah. dang duct tape, you know? <laughs> and that's and part I of what you're that, ta- that, that relates to obligation as well. You're yeah, obligated to close that lid. I want to close it. I want to close it. And that's I want to close the loop. I want to close the lid. It's like you, that's it's this compulsion that almost overrides all mm. of your your knowing like your deep knowing Logic. of like this is yeah like i know this is okay. not going to be good for me i know this is going to throw me into burnout i know this is more than i've got spoons and utensils in my drawer to yeah. deal with but, but i'll just I do this feel like i okay. have to or i'm just going to do this little bit and then time blindness jumps up and bites you in the butt in four hours later <laughs> yeah. yeah or you know everything will be fine if i just do this one task uh, everything will be fine if i just do this one task and then it's like, by the time you get to the end of it, you're, you're still not fine. You've just right. been obligated so, to do it all. So Benjamin, what are you noticing or what are some of your thoughts around sort of when you're feeling now that people are like, oh, I'm, I'm becoming aware of this germination of obligation that's existing in my life, maybe. What are some of the things that you've started to sort of, how are you yeah. internally self-talking I, in this? Mm. Well, I guess there's two questions I think I I got from that. And this latter part, I think, would be a conversation for another day with the self-talk because I don't self-talk anymore. One big thing is that up here is tumbleweeds for a good reason. Like, I think when I need to, but I just am, I just do. I don't, and people are like, well, what do you mean? It's like, well. Josh calls that being a jellyfish. Yeah. Yeah. Jellyfish. Yeah. That's great. I love that analogy. That's a great, like for me, it's more so with this obligation stuff, when I first noticed it, because I have very a very vivid internal world and I go there quite often. 
I hadn't realized for a very long time the majority of my life was spent in what's called dissociation. And it's a hard thing to realize, you know, but you can, you can be despondent over it or I can celebrate the fact that I have a very vibrant internal world where I can actually internally work with things and figure them out, cog them out and design them. Now, like, what do you do with this germination of obligation now that you know it's there? Well, one thing I noticed was that the person or the people that I cared the most about would cause me the most grief with that obligation. And by grief, I mean pressure. Now, that pressure generally will come out in ways that is maladaptive and unhealthy. And it will come out in ways that is hurtful or just plain mean. And you'll be like, why am I like this? Like, I just want to like, oh God, I'm just tired. Like, I just, uh, just give me, you know, that's literally what it feels like. And the person on the other end is like, what the hell is going on? Like, you know, this is not an abnormal thing. Like this is as in the request or the task or the, or the need or the want, you know, it's not out there. So why is this person reacting? A lot of it's because it's unsaid, it's unspoken, but it's also the fact that there's no way out of it for the person that it's happening to in that moment, because they don't know it's happening. They're just reacting to that consistent feeling of obligation against their own needs and wants. And that is a very dangerous dichotomy to live under for a very long time for some people. And the, the, the worst thing that you can do is for allow it to keep going unsaid or unspoken about. Because as soon as you verbalize it, everyone starts getting a clearer picture not just you. And for me, a big part of my trauma was making sure that people were okay. And I would the not fawning. be able to rest. Yeah. Fawning. Yeah. Fawning was all, I was all fawn. And but not just like, it, it, it used to be pernicious in the sense that I would actively take on the anxiety and the stress of someone having died because I haven't heard whether they've made it home okay. And why do I feel obligated to even feel that way? No, trauma. Yes, trauma, trauma, trauma. But what do I do about it on the inside now? Do I get rid of it? Well, you can't really get rid of it. It's you. But you can learn about it. And like a muscle that's been used a lot, you just want it to kind of atrophy a little bit and not be so much in control and reactive. And it's just poking out every time it needs to. Yeah. When I like, I, for me, I had to interrupt it. When I started to like consciously yeah, interrupt. interrupt it, then mm -hmm. because it had become a habituated way of thinking and feeling, you know, cause our brains do two things. Number one, it seeks to keep us safe. And number two, it seeks to conserve energy. So it habituates and automates as much as possible. Yes. And that even happens with our thoughts. And, yeah, and our brain, our mind doesn't differentiate if this is something that's serving us or not. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, like we've that. done this a couple of times. Let's automate it because then, you know, if we've done it a yeah. few times, that means that it's okay. And so now I'm going to make it automated so we're not exerting as much energy to do it. And it's just going to People might be like, Carol, what do you mean automate? Well, it's like, it's a, it's a, good, it's a good analogy because that's essentially what it is. But 
say it's like passing the brain instruction map for this particular task to the body and the body just handles it. That's how I would visualize it for me personally. It's like, I don't need to actively think about it. I just pass it off to the body now and the body will just do it and incorporate that task, you know? Yeah. And this is, a, this is part of the obligation thing. Like that's another right. thing that we incorporate. So Benjamin, I, I've got two things here that I, I noted down that I want to kind of like pick your brain on because I, I love where you're going with this. I really think this is a helpful conversation. Number one is sort of what's the context of trauma? Like how do we put trauma into a context? How do we how do we look at and observe or even integrate? Like if so much of our life has been like this unconscious, mm. unaware experience Obligate. of trauma like how does you know the context of trauma in obligation what is that what are how are you observing that mm. um i guess this feeds into both both things with with what i was going to talk about too with the other the other item but with with this this obligation matrix let's say let's just call it that now in regards to trauma which one comes first you know, like, <laughs> like as like the chicken and the egg scenario. Um, let's just say that I think a lot of the things that we experience, particularly that is, it's imbued with trauma. So we need to stop thinking of things as standalone things in of themselves in isolation. And I think that's a biomedical model, compartmentalization, you know, specialization, all that sort of stuff. Now. You asked before, like, how do we deal with this? And this is kind of the same thing. How do we deal with it? This germination of obligation and how does it relate to trauma? Well, we deal with it by the, the obligation. We deal with it by talking about it and letting people know. So what I did was specifically with my, um, with my companion and the person that I, uh, my best friend, I took the time and he also took the time to listen and give me space and have patience for me to try and get out this this idea and it was really hard the first time because what i was doing was describing it as i was i was trying to get it out and when it when i finally got it out he understood it was the ben you know like i want to go for a walk do you want to come with me and I'll be like, oh, not really. Okay, yeah, let's go for a walk. <laughs> you know, and it wasn't. It wasn't about. Now I will clarify in the sense that it's not about me deciding. Oh, okay, whatever. I should probably go for a walk. That's not the scenario we're talking about. That that does happen. What I'm talking about is, if I don't go, I'm going to feel like a shit person. And if I don't go, that person's going to be disappointed in me. If I don't go, I'm not going to be able to do the things I want to later and I'm not going to be able to relax. If I don't go, I'm not going to be getting the tasks I want to do later because I'm going to be feel bad about this. If I don't go, if I don't go, if I, and it just keeps going. And that is all obligation. And a lot of it's unspoken and a lot of it's unsaid because you've put it on that other person as well. So it's not just that person. Sometimes people will play to it. Sometimes people will use it. Sometimes people use it without even realizing. Don't get me wrong here. But we are the ones placing that obligation. 
and we can decide to take it away or to minimize it. How does it relate to trauma? Like what? Like what? Well, trauma is such a big word and there's a contemporary understanding of trauma, historical understanding of trauma. And I think you and I would both agree it's a multi-dimensional thing. Oh, it is a living, breathing thing all in of itself. It's, a, it's like it's its own like anthropomorphized, like crazy looking alien thing that constantly is growing different parts. We don't know. But we are all talking about it. And we all need to understand that we all have degrees of it. I'm not traumatized. How dare you? Uh, but yeah, majority of humanity is. Sorry to say, majority of humanity is. And the people that say that they're not, as in they haven't gone and got healed, like people that are healed from trauma and have gone through it will say, I did have trauma. You know, they will still note it. I still am working through my trauma. It's a life journey. So that's a person that's gone very far in their, in their, in their decisions on addressing it. There's plenty of people that say, I don't have trauma. What are you talking about? Guaranteed, got some trauma there. But then you can also That's where I started. I was like, trauma? Yes, I'm having trauma? What are you start. talking about? Because I didn't recognize so we all start. it. I had lived with it no. so long. It was my norm. I was, I was studying my, my master's thesis on trauma. Hello? Like I was doing a thesis on it. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, this is me. No worries. Oh, yeah, you know. And then I had no deep appreciation. Like I, I knew you can know. You can know lots of things. But applying it internally, totally different story. And it's, it, that's what makes it hard. And like, what did you do with this trauma? What do you do with this obligation? The first thing is let's bring on awareness to it. And you talk about awareness. And this is a very big thing in, in, in our circles. A lot of it is because many people aren't familiar with their internal selves as autistics. And I also have struggled with neurotypical frameworks with meditation. And I did. Oh, understand. that does not work for me. Exactly. And this is a neurotypical, this is a neurodiversity thing where we were taught our internalities, our internal voices from a neurotypical pathological biomedical model compartmentalized perspective. I'm sorry about all the big words, but that's true. And that actually it was like here's the depth, here's the deficit you have. That was mm -hmm. well, that's how it was usually presented to us. <laughs> and then it's internalized. Yeah. And that's it's like I'm failing, I'm not doing this well enough. I'm, you know, yeah, it's psychomission. And that, 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 that minority stress is internalized. Then you have your obligation trying to alleviate that minority stress by making others comfortable. Others okay. Everybody's comfortable but me. Exactly. But then like that it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And that's when you get burnt out people and tired people and people that end up suicidal, self-harming, because they don't know why they keep doing all these things. And a lot of it is just say hello to that internal self of yours. Get in familiar with that person. Know that that person is actually you. And that obligation you feel is not a bad or a good thing. It's what you do with it. If you're reacting just constantly to what people need from you and want from you all the time, and you're never giving yourself that, 
you need to have some obligation to yourself. And that's where it kind of gets back to being a bit more healthy. You know, I want to, you, you just, oh, I love how you bring out so many wonderful little sparks. As my friend Laura and I say, we spark each other and you spark me. Yeah. You know, yeah. part of that that's- too, from what you just said is like, there was this time and this place in my life where I knew I had been living through obligation and, and my belief system was saying, and the trauma in my life was telling me that I had to make sure all of these things were in place. Cause that's what kept me safe. Right. Yeah. Making yeah, sure everybody else was people pleasing myself to death. And mm-hmm. then I knew that I didn't know me. I knew that I hadn't. And I knew that I had to turn internally, but that was so scary. I was afraid. Because one of the things that came up and and it was hard to even verbalize it or acknowledge it was, what if I look inside and I am, I don't like what I see? Mm. What if who I am or who I've allowed myself to become, I don't like it, or I don't understand it, or it's, you know. God forbid, you know, like I'm a horrible person and all that stuff. And I think mm. so many of us feel that way and we're scared to, to share that, you know, I'll get vulnerable. I'll share it guys. I will. I'll, yeah, I will show I'm, up and be vulnerable all day long to help somebody. And I think we're, we're probably the minority in that regard, Carol, and that's okay. You know, we, we, I love sharing and it's never been a problem for me, but that also was part of my neurotypicality, a neurodiversity and having that degree of so this is part of the obligation for me i went i was so obligated out of myself i became this external plate spinner for everyone else and ben wasn't home because he was plate spinning you know and those dang plates yeah and you will eventually burn out it's not it's not sustainable but also because you have no degree of relationship with yourself and you wonder why you don't understand yourself or who you are and i want you to know like that is okay there's nothing wrong with going i don't know who i am you know what that's the best start because that's the beginning of the journey of finding out who you are because as soon as you ask if i had a button for like cheers and i i would i would hit the cheer button guys but you know i'm not that fancy on this show so we're just gonna (laughs) we're just gonna do our cheer here oh my god yes so you know i think that brings us to to a really good sort of part and component to this and i think you're going to speak to this really beautifully you know, part of the work that I do in the unveiling method is because this was part of, you know, I have alexithymia also. So a lot of that and, and through the trauma, it's like, I would disassociate, I would disconnect with my body. And I had suppressed it for so long that I didn't even know how I was feeling, or I would have all these huge feelings all at one time. It was really overwhelming. And it would take me a long time to sort of process and sort through them. And sometimes yeah. it would be like stuff would show up years later. <laughs> And I'm like, why is this hitting me all of a sudden? You know, I'm sitting here running a bath and all of a sudden, whoa, why am I all of a sudden upset over something happened 10 years ago? It's just hitting me. And, you know, I think part of that is looking at and getting, gaining a vernacular for our, to identify our needs. And that's one of the things that I have in the unveiling method is, 
is I've created a, a form that it's a reflection form of needs. And it's like, okay, here are like some of the big need statements. Does this, is this a need that's being met in your life? And it's like, oh yeah. Cause you can read it and you know, you can, you start to feel and you're connecting. You're like, yeah, okay. I got that one. And you're like, no, I don't have that one. No, I don't have that one. So that's identifying the unmet need. And guys, here's or the insight here. The un- I have an idea of. Right, exactly. And you're like, whoa, if this is on paper, that means other people have experienced this or have had this too. So I'm not alone. And as you're looking at that, it's like, oh, and the insight is a consistent unmet need is what leads to burnout. Consistent unmet needs lead to burnout. And a lot of times too, once we start to recognize this, oh, I have unmet needs. And these are what they are. I knew I had them. I just didn't know how to put words to it. I didn't know how to sort of identify it. And then it's, yeah, it's, all and it's sort of, right. It is. It feels like really gray and like your feet are never yeah, on firm ground trying to figure it out. And you're so busy, you know, doing everything else in that external pleasing that you you've missed this. But I think part mm. of that, that obligation part and the shift that I think you you probably will speak so beautifully to is like, once you start to become aware of and start to recognize some of these needs, then you also have to start digging through some of that stuff that we carry with us in late identified life. And it's like, I'm worthy of having my needs met. My needs are not a problem. Mm. I, I made a post about this on LinkedIn just recently, um, just about the child self. and. I was a portion of that post that talks about how our internal selves will carry the luggage that we can't carry externally. The life's luggage, you know, the things that we all carry stuff on our backs, right? And they're all external, these things that we carry on our backs as our person. But that internal child self will carry the things that are too heavy. And it's like, you need to think about that for a second. The child within is carrying the heavy stuff, you know? And that's all, like, think about that. Why? That's unfair. You know, like, that doesn't make any sense. And it's like, well, that is you. You have been doing that. And you need to realize that a lot of the things that you're carrying externally, your child self is carrying internally. And the things that they're carrying internally is a lot more the things that you've never been able to deal with you've had to hide them away pack them in a luggage don't pretend they're not there and i think with that understanding when you start really diving into it like for people some have never done this they don't even know what's a child self i used to have such irritating sort of feelings come through when my psychologist of 10 years ago would say well you need to tell that to your child self i'm like what are you about like (laughs) I did never understood. You know, There's like, one of me in here. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, well, what do we do with all this? Like it's, it's, it feels like a lot and it is. All right. And you're unpacking it. And that string that you slowly start to pull on quickly, like you realize, oh, it's actually connected to my clothes and all my clothes are coming off. And I was like, oh no. Like, and then you're all of a sudden the emperor with no clothes. Unraveling. Yeah. And you're unraveling that that obligatory sort of feelings that you've had your whole life and based in trauma, based in neurodiversity. And neurodiversity with trauma, it, it, it's like fuel to the fire. I mean, I must, I must put on there like ADHD and autism. It's like 
you can have trauma in of itself with neurotypicality and it looks neurodiverse. It, it presents neurodiverse. Lived experience is neurodiverse for trauma, for CPTSD, for PTSD. But then you amalgamate those three domains, right? CPTSD comes later. But you have ADHD and autism. And ADHD is like pouring like gasoline on gasoline it's high speed, on a fire. Jet fuel. It's not even regular gas. It's jet fuel, folks. <laughs> exactly. It's jet fuel and it will burn your bum. It will burn it. And I think this is the thing we need to realize is that it's okay to not know. It's okay to be stuck. It's okay to not have any idea how to do it. But at least you know that now that you can start somewhere. And that's yes. the key thing, I think, knowing that you can do it. Just having that. So I, I guess what I would say is maybe strike up an obligation that you're so good at doing for everybody else. Maybe strike up that one little obligation to yourself and think, have I done what I needed to do for myself today inside? Not outside where everyone can see, but just like, did I do a self-check? Did I do the right thing? As in for me, was that what I really wanted? And sometimes you won't like the answers, but, <laughs> but you're at least convening with yourself and figuring it out. You're not letting things just react and happen. Oh, man. I think that right there is the gym. That's the insight. <laughs> That's the golden nugget right there. And I think part of that is you know, as we talk about sort of unraveling and, and really looking at that. And I think it is taking time just to stop and ask yourself, what have I done that met a need I have today? And have I valued it? Have I honored it? And have I opened up and held space to receive it for myself today? That degree and a of lot of is put it to yourself. Yeah, because I think, you know, one of the one of the things that sort of helps unbox and unlayer and I think unburden all that luggage that we put on ourselves externally and on ourselves internally is that most of the time for most of us in late identify life, we have onboarded and been carrying luggage that is not ours to carry. Onboarded, I love that. Where is the luggage gone? You know, like it's like that weird compartment of all these other people's luggage lost and found that you, you know, like for me, it was like going onto a train. So one of my, actually, this is kind of funny. One of my uh, little practices, meditative sort of practices that I like to help people get familiar with their mind is the train station analogy. Mm -hmm. okay? I love this one. I don't know if you know about this, but. I, I did post a few times about it, but it's like, okay, if you're getting, trying someone to get familiar with a train station, uh, as in like the mind, I should say, you tell them to sit themselves on a train, on, on, a, on, a, on a bench at the train station and all your thoughts are trains moving past. And if you, you know, you go down, you decide to hop on one of the trains, right? One of the thoughts and you go down and have a bit of a journey, right? Uh, down that thought stream for a bit. And they're like, oh shit. Oh, I'm daydreaming. Oh, quick. You get out the train, sit back on the bench, and then you just... Now, the idea is that you're just going to keep trying to get back onto that bench. Now, for me, I, this is how I started to learn my, my internal self more and become more familiar. But I was also like, oh, there's that... Oh, lost and found. Oh, 
uh, whose train is this? It's mine. <laughs> and realizing that there was a lot of stuff there that I would have to unpack, right? But I don't have to do it all at once. And you don't have to I'm do it alone. <laughs> You don't have to do it alone. And you don't have to do it either. It's okay to yeah. just leave it. You don't need to. Like, I think there's a bit of a, a bit of a degree of, oh, we must address the trauma. No, no we don't. Actually, you know, <laughs> we you don't know have to address everything. everything. No, you don't. Some and stuff just resolves it by just letting it go. Yeah. And also it can be more damaging. You don't need to relive everything. You don't need to do that to yourself. You know, Benjamin, I think that's one of the things that I recognize for myself. And I don't know if anybody else, and maybe if you, sounds like you may have, but it's like for me, because I am a visual thinker, because I can experience and put myself back in that moment where I smell it, I feel it, everything, I am there for me to go back. It is more damaging because then it's just reinforcing what I already experienced and it's Mm -hmm. leaving that loop open it left that loop Mm -hmm. open for me. And what I discovered is that for myself and a lot of those really big T things, I had to find what was the closure and how did I just close that and and let that go and know that I am safe. I am, I am okay. Mm. And not have to like, I didn't have to unpack that because by doing that, it was only making worse. Well, I said that that was your unpacking method for that very thing. I think a lot of, I think a lot of people get stuck on this. Like we've all grown up with the biomedical model. Yeah. Right. It's going to take a long time to unlearn. I'm 48. I have, it has been shoved down my throat. <laughs> like, you know, it's disgusting over here too. How degrees of, 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 of just the, how, how it's just everywhere and every little thing, this compartmentalization where everything operates in isolation. And it's like, no, it all works together, guys. It's like, I can't believe it. It needs to be said, but just just to remind you um that's what is actually the case but you know like i i think when it comes to just even like giving yourself a moment to deal with the trauma it's just understanding right that you can like 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 you you don't need to uh, you don't need to relive it i have such a vivid mindscape it it is like a cinema screen and yep. you try and describe it to people. It's like if you could ever imagine walking into the largest cinema screen you ever had and you're actually in the movie, yep. that's what I do. And Me it's too. sometimes it's like a wall coming towards you that you find yourself suddenly in this different world. And you're like, um, I, uh, I wasn't ready for this. Like, where is Wasn't I just in from? the checkout line at Costco? Yeah, like, hello. <laughs> like, and that's part of dissociation. You know, like it could be real some days how bad it was, but some days it's not just it's not dissociation. It's you living in this in this internal world. You're not dissociating. You're just there chilling out, right? And sometimes things bubble up that you are not expecting, or sometimes you start to because I would say as well when you start to come into that awareness that mindscape isn't a hellhole anymore. You're not reacting to it, right? It's not a sponge of all of the environment's hostility that then gets re-expressed internally as a hostile environment. 
when you start to have that awareness, you actually start to realize, oh, this is my mind. I can do whatever I want. But I think also there's these opportunities that you know, the body is also its own thing. It will tell that brain, hey, look, I've been holding on to this for some time and I would like to get rid of it, please. Like, and then you're like, oh, like I've, I've experienced my first sort of in the last 12 months PTSD episodes, like proper PTSD episodes and the first one it was hard because I don't remember half majority of it all I remember was making someone that cared about me very distressed and I was very confused and I did not understand what was going on now someone was like what the hell is a PTSD episode just google it don't have a look it's awful to watch but yeah it's awful experience that's some of the things that we go through where it comes on you don't have any choice and then you don't you don't even feel obligated then even to to address it it's there so what do you do you know and i think the biggest thing is just allow yourself to know that it wasn't your fault but you're also designed in a way, you're, you've developed in a way where you're almost obligated to think it's your fault. You know, like you're designed to think that, like, you know, you think about social justice, right? Like for me, like I could be watching TV some days and see some things happening and I'm bawling my eyes out. You know, like, and I'm a crier. I'm a happy crier. Like, I don't care. Like, I cry. And, but to have distressing things where you don't feel like you're doing enough and it's not even doing enough you're not doing anything or you're not doing something or you're not you know like but you're a human and you can only do so much and you've got your own life and everything else like that and that's what we deal with that existential sort of obligatory what should i be doing and i'm here to basically say whatever you want (laughs) you know you can do whatever you want it's okay and you'll find as soon as you give yourself permission to not feel obligated to work through those, oh, I'm feeling obligated to do this and I, I actually don't want to do it. Well, instead of doing that task now or doing that thing for that person, say it. I actually don't want to help. And that person will be like, oh, what's wrong with you? You know, or they're like, oh, it's okay. Or whatever scenario that comes about it. But you need to stick to your guns. Because that's what you want. And you are obligated to yourself, no one else. And I think that is the big thing for uh, neurodiverse individuals, neurodivergent individuals, is that give yourself permission to be yourself. Don't feel obligated to everybody else to do what you think, because generally a lot of it's us trying to uh, preempt the issues that we see coming. We're trying to preempt the needs of others by fulfilling them before they even come to you with a need. That obligation becomes so suffocating, all-consuming, because it just never ends. It's like a string that you keep pulling on and yeah. it keeps coming. It is the infinity of need. <laughs> yeah. And yes. guys, you know, you hadn't heard me say it probably in at least one or two episodes, but you know, <laughs> I say it all the time and this has become sort of the catchphrase. You don't have to. 
Yeah, exactly. You, you don't, don't have to. to. Benjamin you Christmas, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for sharing your germination and oh, obligation no conversation because I think this may have been exactly what somebody needed to hear today. And if that was you and you're listening or you're watching and this has spoken to you and you have become aware of that germination of obligation in your life, Benjamin and I both want you to know, number one, you don't have to. Number two, turn inward and look at what are the obligations that I have to and should hold to myself first before I do one more and thing for starting at the end of February, we are going to have monthly support groups for all of the folks in our unveilers community. That is people in our private coaching, as well as our first steps in the first, in the self-paced course. So if you are interested in joining any of that, take a look at the resources.mindyourautisticbrain.com, check them out. You can apply for personalized coaching. And with that application, if everything is there and it's like, this is a really good, good match. And I know I've got some resources I can share. I will set up a 30 minute free consultation with you and share some information to help you on your journey based on the, the questions that you answer in that, that uh, application for coaching. And that's just to kind of start the conversation to let me know what's going on with you, where you are. Cause you know, guys burnout, we feel it. And by the time we feel it, that's sort of where we become aware that burnouts happen in our world. So the burnout warning signs are the internal experiences that we have in burnout. There's another component that I teach and talk about, and that is the burnout warning signposts. So you've got your warning signs, that's your internal piece. Then you have your external piece, which are your burnout signposts. And most people think that, oh, it's the warning signs that let me know that's how I identify I'm in burnout. Well, not so much. That's where you feel it first and you really start to notice it. But burnout shows up in the external signposts before we ever start to feel it. And that's where we can catch it. That's where we can start to make adjustments and awarenesses and shift things so that you don't end up with those warning signs. And make sure you go check out the top 20 warning signs, look at it, get started on your burnout restoration journey, be that through private coaching or the self-paced course to kind of get you started from where you are. Because guys, I want to help you get started. I don't want you to feel stuck. I don't want you to feel like I'm in sitting in the suck and I have no way out because I got a way out and I want to help you get there.